Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I'm your host, Joey Crunwell. Please come on in, make yourself at home. Uh, do you want something to drink? I don't have all that much in the way of alcohol. I like some honey whiskey, I think, and like a bunch of old bottles of I honestly don't know. I don't even remember what they are. I don't drink all that much, but I have soda. Do you want a, a Coke Zero? I have a I have, I have Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. I have, oh, I have that Dr. Pepper with cream soda. Have you had that? I was recently turned on to that by my friends Amy and Russell, and it's really good. I don't have the sugar-free version of that, so I don't know if that's a concern, but it's it's really good. They didn't have it, so I got the regular, and I mean, it was kind of a fortuitous mistake because it is it is delicious, but, uh, but yeah, I have tea, I have water, whatever, whatever you want. Just let me know. Make yourself at home. It's just us this week, dear listener. It's just you and me. And uh, I, through a very, there's a bunch of different scheduling issues and life stuff happening. And I wasn't able to get Ron or Tab. I reached out to our friend Paul. Uh, he was more than happy to do it, but he had family coming in and I can't record when he can record. And and then and then our friend Amy stepped up and said, I'll, you know, I'll help out. But by that point, I was already deep into planning this solo excursion so it's just us. If you don't like me, I understand. Look, I, I get it. I have a lot of insecurities and and I'm sure that you hate me. So if that's the case, that's that's great. We'll see you next week. Next week, we're going to have an episode with uh, Tab and Paul. We're going to be talking about the Xbox in its many iterations. So join us next week and I'll see you later. But if you do like me, or at least if you're okay with me, okay, I'm not even going to pretend that you like me. Let's just go with you're you're not too annoyed by me. Then today I'm going to talk about my favorite game of all time, Chrono Trigger. So if you're a Chrono Trigger fan, if you're interested in the game, or if you just want to hear me soliloquize or, you know, monologue for over an hour about my favorite video game, then stick around. Like I said, I have soda, water, tea, I have all kinds of tea. I have or- orange spice is the kind that I'm into now, Bigelow Teas. I'm not, why am I bringing, why am I dropping all these brands? We're not sponsored by any of them, but I do love them. So it's one of those situations. I feel like with podcast advertising, podcasts end up advertising things that they don't really like, but they have to pretend to like, you know, they're like, oh, there's new mattress. Like we buy mattresses all the time. And it's like, no, you know what I mean? I I don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about that. So let's just, uh, Let's just move on. Um, we don't have a lot of news. I mean, part of it is I sometimes I'll bring up news issues that I think, you know, my my co-host will be interested in. Um, this week, there really is only one kind of dominant story, I think. And it's that Sora was announced for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, of course. That was a huge thing. I missed it. I was asleep. Uh, they It happened at 9 a.m. our time, Central Standard Time. And I thought about waking up for it. I mean, it was the last fighter, the last announcement for Smash Brothers. It was a big deal. But there was something I I just I haven't been getting a lot of sleep. It doesn't matter. I I chose not to wake up and I missed out on it because I woke up to Twitter just absolutely being on fire. People were so excited. This is one of those characters that for years people have been asking for and kind of fantasizing about. And it happened. It finally happened. And it's kind of amazing, I think. I mean, 
to be fair, we're not getting the full Disney package like we would want. Um, people have pointed out already that Mickey and Donald and Goofy have all been sort of scrubbed from the Sora artwork and everything in the background, and they're not using the original Disney music and everything. So this is not full on like Mickey Mouse. That Mickey Mouse was another like dream character that people said, wow, this iconic mascot character, wouldn't it be perfect for this game? Um, I don't know that Nintendo would have been okay with that. Nintendo has always said, has always maintained that they will only use characters that originate in video games. So maybe Nintendo would have said no to Mickey Mouse. But regardless, it does seem like because of licensing and all that other stuff, there's no there's no Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or any explicitly Disney characters or music or levels. Um, and that probably has to do with the fact that, again, Sora and all of the Kingdom Hearts license types, you know, IP is... Um, was created with a specific agreement that Square can use it in their stuff with the agreement of Disney and vice versa. Um, but Disney probably did not give Square the right to use the Disney properties. So it makes sense. It's just, you know, so it's a, it's a little slightly diminished, but it's still amazing. It's still technically a Disney character. Like you can see the Disney copyright now in the long list of Smash Brothers. Co- like it's so amazing to me just to look at that the companies that have don't that have ba- not donated, of course, but like given their characters to this game, like if you would have if you time traveled, maybe like twenty five years ago, and told young Joey that there was going to be a Nintendo game where Mario and all his friends, Donkey Kong, Samus, Yoshi, Princess Peach, etc., were going to fight Sonic the Hedgehog. If you just stopped there, I would have been like, get out of here. What kind of bizarre fucking future do you live in? There's no fucking way. Sonic the Hedgehog is going to be in a, in a Nintendo game. No, mm, okay. But then if you were like, oh, no, 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 it's not, no, young Joey, it's not just, it's not just Sonic. It's also Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy. It's also Bayonetta from, well, Bayonetta. It's also uh, Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Mega Man, Pac-Man. What the what 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 kind of game? And then Sora from the Disney Square Enix crossover Kingdom Hearts. It's so amazing to think about, really. Um, and something that that I saw that I I want to I I thought because this week was the week that me Paul and Tab were going to record an Xbox episode, so this would have been perfect for then. Maybe we'll talk about it next week too. But Xbox actually tweeted out and said it's an honor for us and our friends. At hold on a second, I got my thing here. Okay, it's an honor for us and our friends at Rare and and Minecraft and Bethesda to be part of one of the biggest video game collaborations of all time. Hashtag thank you Sakurai. A lot of people were posting thank you Sakurai, um, but that I mean Xbox. I I have a weird thing. I love when these companies who are technically competing get along. I hate the the idea of like console wars and fanboyism and you know, being like, you know, really gatekeepy about not only gaming, but like platforms and stuff. I think that's just so, just so dumb. I, I, I felt that way when I was a kid. I was or not that way. I felt I was, a, I was one of those people, you know, when you're a kid or when you don't have a lot of money, you stand behind the system that you've, you've been able, you were able to afford and you defend it. You know, you want to believe that that's the best system. Um, and that still, I think probably happens today. You know, these consoles are expensive, but it really 
is weirdly kind of touching when these companies like Xbox and and Nintendo and Sony um, do things like this. Like it's a small gesture, you know what I mean? I know the Xbox has been a lot more buddy-buddy with Nintendo in these last few years than Sony or Sony and Nintendo or anything like that. But uh, regardless, I, I, I thought it was cool. Maybe not. Um, the other thing is, of course, the Kingdom Hearts games are all coming to Switch as well via that cloud service that we have mentioned in the past. So that is more believable to me that they could pull that off um, than something like we talked about Dying Light 2. That seems like I, I'm so curious how the the Switch hardware is going to pull that off even via streaming, but maybe. But a PS2 game like Kingdom Hearts, okay, I can I can more likely see that. But I know a lot of people are excited. I liked the Kingdom Hearts games um i'm not you know i'm not one of the like hardcore die hard i'm not going to get a kingdom hearts tattoo but but i do like it i do i think they were very fun part of it for me was just that crossover thing that we're talking about with smash brothers the idea that there was going to be a disney game because of course like many people i grew up with disney so the idea that there's going to be this disney game that's actually very high quality made by people who make games square enix because disney has like a very uneven history with video games um there's a few that people point to and say oh well like aladdin was good and you know maybe lion king or like epic mickey or something like that but there are a lot of bad disney games out there because i suspect it takes a lot of money a lot of investment to really get you know either acquire or to spin up a studio that's going to make you know, have the experience and the the expertise to make a really good game. And I don't think Disney was willing to make that investment. So when Square Enix, uh, I want to say it was the president of Square Enix at the time, caught uh, someone from Disney in the elevator. I th- I'm pretty sure that's the anecdote. Is he, ca- he literally caught him in the elevator and was like, I have this wild idea. What do you think? And the guy from Disney, I don't remember. I don't remember who it was, but they were they're like, yeah, okay, sure, sounds sounds great, and that that's how it happened. And they made Kingdom Hearts, um, and from what I understand, it was a little bit of a, a headache of a project because, of course, Disney's incredibly protective of their IP, so there was a lot of back and forth and having to approve every tiny little thing. And it also sounds like that was the case here because someone from oh crap, now I should have looked this tweet up too. There was a tweet that I saw that was from. Uh, someone on the Kingdom Hearts team, maybe I might have been. It was one of the one of the top. I like the. I don't remember who who's the creative director for that was, but one of like the top design people tweeted at Nintendo or at Sakurai and was like, "We just want to thank them. We had lots of he. The way they said it was like very polite. Like we had a lot of requests and you know requests for feedback and stuff like that. So I imagine it was probably even just very difficult to get." Sora in the game but man what a feat look at that roster like I dare anyone to look at that roster and not just maybe maybe by now it's old hat maybe people look at it and they're like yeah all right well whatever but I still am just blown away by it having said that I need to go buy them I haven't bought any of the recent DLC characters because I don't really play it all that often man I got I should I should get back into it but anyways okay let's let's move on so normally we talk about what we've been playing and I, you know, I've been playing Deathloop still. I finished it and I really liked it. I had to, once I beat it, 
I had to have a moment where I stepped back from my experience and allowed myself to be fair to the game because what I found was that I was really stressed out during the game in a way. I knew all these big games were coming up. I wanted to have it finished in time. I didn't have as much time for gaming in these last couple of weeks um, as I normally do. So I've been getting busy and some, some nights I would only have like an hour um, two max to, to play. And so a game of this type where in some cases you are kind of just revisiting the same places and for good reason, you know what I mean? It's all of that is justified through the narrative and the gameplay, but sometimes it would stress me out and I would feel like I didn't make any progress. And I don't think that it's a perfect game. I know a lot of people are throwing out the masterpiece word and I've seen it. It's gotten some 10 out of 10s. I don't think I'm that hot on it, but I do think that it was really good and it did some really interesting things. There are certain things, like there's this one mission that I, I don't feel like I'm spoiling too much, but there's a mission because, okay, let me, let me back up. People hear the concept about going into the same areas and I think they're really turned off and they're like, oh, that sounds like such a pain. Most of the time it's not. Like there are different enemies in different places a lot of the times, not always, but depending on the time of day that you go, you can take different paths. I mentioned before, the level design is great. They give you all of these different um, paths through the, the level. So you can take one that feels really comfortable and that you've tried before, or you can like take a different route if there are now enemies there. But there was one part where I just was so annoyed. So there's this mission very late in the game. And of course, then I'm very anxious to finish the game. So I'm already kind of a little annoyed. And there's this mission where you have to go to a specific level to flip a switch but to flip that switch you have to turn on some generators but to turn on those generators you have to pick up these batteries and go get them charged and then bring them to the generators and then when they run out of charge you have to go get them charged and of course there's enemies there and so it's this whole process but I didn't mind that seemed very normal to me the problem is once you flip that switch you have to go to the map that was aligned with that switch and do something and then you have to come back to that level and do all of that over again to flip another switch for a different level to go to that level and do something. And then you have to come back and do it all over again to hit. And I'm like, that was super frustrating. I'm literally doing the same exact thing three times. And I was I was annoyed by that. But once I finished the game, I had to step back because I've heard reviewers like game critics and game reviewers talk about how sometimes when they're under... Um, like they have a deadline, a really tight deadline for a big game. Like they're given like a, a multi-hour, like 60-hour JRPG to review and they're only given a week to do it. How they can get really frustrated, especially if there are things in the games that in the game that they don't love and that can maybe affect their, you know, what they, they try to be objective in their reviews. At least that's what um, I think. You know, I've heard some of them say that that they're not, it's subjective, but you're assigning a score to it and you're trying, you're giving their parameters and it's more objective than I think than not. But regardless, you're trying to be fair to the game. You're trying to give the game the same kind of attention and consideration that you would if you were playing it outside of this review embargo, this deadline. And so I've heard that they have to take a bit, like step away from the game, away from their notes and just sort of like allow themselves to consider it from the point of view of someone who's playing it on day one. They have all the time in the world. And so I tried to do that with Deathloop when I finished it and say, okay, some of my annoyances were probably because I was frustrated. Um, 
you didn't need to hear all that. I, I should probably cut all that. Let's just, you know what? Let's just move on. I will just say again, I really liked it. I do think it's probably, um, I can see how it would be in the game of the year discussion. Um, I guess maybe I just didn't quite see the 10 out of 10 like masterpiece thing, but that's maybe that's just me. But it was a great game. Again, like I said, I love Juliana, one of my favorite characters of the year. I love her relationship with Colt and their back and forth. Every time I would start a new day, I would look forward to the little interaction that they would have. So, yeah, I thought it was a that was a really fun, a really fun game. It was fun to play. I would I will say that too. But uh, the other thing I've been playing is Super Metroid. So I've never played Super Metroid, and I've always had a little bit of that like gamer guilt about it because <laughs> I've followed like gaming magazines and news sites and podcasts for years. And when people talk about like the best games of all time, Super Metroid is almost always on those on those lists. It's always top 10. I've seen it listed as the best game of all time on some lists. So I understand it's like one of the best. So that's one like a, a glaring gap in my video game knowledge or experience. And so I've always had it on the back burner. Like I'm gonna I'll try it. I'll get to it. But with Metroid Dread coming out, which I don't know if I'll play it right away anyway, but I was like, this is this is the time I can stop putting it off. I can I can check that very important box off of my like backlog. And so I'm just I'm going to do it. So I'm I'm I don't know how far I am. I don't know how long the game is, but I have I think in terms of missile upgrades, if you play the game, this will make sense to you. I think I have like 25 missiles. Uh because you get missile upgrades in increments of five. I have 25 missiles. I have, I don't have this, the dash yet. I know that. And I don't have the, I think they're mega bombs or super bombs or something. I don't have that because I've run into obstacles that I need those to pass. So, and I don't have the, gra if there's a grappling thing, a grappling beam, like I know there are in some of the Metroid games, I don't have that either. So I'm not super far, but I think I've played like four hours, maybe five. And, I really like it. I see obviously why people talk about it being one of the greatest games of all time, especially when I consider how, you know, where it came out in the Super Nintendo's lifespan fairly early, looking at some of the things that they do. I mean, it it feels like an old school platformer. It really does, but it feels like just kind of an incredibly ambitious version of that. Like if you go back and play platformers on the NES and then the early SNES and you play that, it's like, wow, like the way that they created these maps which of course now metroidvanias that's kind of been done to death but um their level design and how they communicate you know things that you need in the environment are very clever for its time there's some graphical things that are going on that are you know things like floating in the front of the screen i don't know where floaties like what was the first game that had floaties that had like things floating in the environment uh like a layer of things that are floating. I know that Chrono Trigger had it because um, we're going to talk about that. And that came out in like 95. So I don't know. I don't know when, what the earliest version of floaties and games were. Was it arcade? Might've been. Um, but there's certain graphical things like that. The sprite work is great. But where I stopped playing, I'm very frustrated. <laughs> so... I get down to the bottom of this long shaft. I like drop down um, and, you know, there's tunnels to the left and right. And I go down both tunnels and one tunnel has goes even deeper than that. 
And the way that the game has been laid out so far is you'll go and it lets you explore wherever you want. There's not a lot of guidance. It's not like go here, do this. But there are obstacles that you can't get past. So you'll get to a place where you're like, oh, I can't proceed any further because there's a certain kind of door or like the wall's kind of broken. I can tell I need something to get past it. And then if you go the other direction, typically you find that power up and then you can go proceed into the other area. So I dropped down this long shaft and going down both of these different directions and I find like a couple of things, but I don't find like any new power ups or I did. I sorry, I did. I found the um, super jump. So it allowed me to jump really high uh, and that allowed me to get out of the area that I'd gotten into. But then when I go back to the right of that bottom of the shaft area, because again, there's a left shaft and a right shaft. When I go to the right shaft there or the right tunnel, whatever you want to call it. Um, I come to a, a dead end because there are these little arrows that I can't get past. And I looked it up and it said I need a super dash. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't need that. I don't have that yet. So I go back to the main shaft and I'm like, well, I guess I got to go back up because I know there were doors up, up, you know, toward the top of the shaft that I didn't go through. So let me work my way back up. And I'm like, how do I do that? I don't know. I have no idea. So I looked it up and I have to wall jump. So number one, Unless I missed it, the game did not communicate to me at any point that I can wall jump or how to wall jump. So that was kind of annoying. And then once I looked it up and found out how to wall jump, I was further annoyed. I understand this is one of the best games of all time. And so far, I think I see it for the most part. But wall jumping in this game is a hot fucking turd of a mess. It's so frustrating. You have to jump toward the wall. So if you're jumping to the left, right? You have to, sorry, you have to somersault toward the wall. You can't just jump. You got to somersault toward the wall. And then, so you, that means you're holding left because you have to hold left to steer your character left in the air, right? When you touch the wall, right when you touch the wall, you have to hold the opposite direction. So hold right. And within that split second, that one frame of animation, you have to hit the jump button and hold it. And that's just, you know, I can get that. It gets very, it requires precise timing and skill, I can get that. I got that a couple times. But the first time you have to do it does not follow traditional game design where they teach you how to some, do something and then practice it in a safe environment and then practice it in a, a little bit more of a complicated environment. No, number one, they don't teach you how to do it. And number two, it's they just throw you in and they're like, no, okay, now go to the top of this shaft. You probably have to wall jump like four or five times in a row to get to that top of the shaft. And then I don't even know if that's what I'm supposed to do. Like I, I can't even tell because the top of the shaft is like, there's a hole in the center of the ceiling and I'm supposed to somehow jump from the wall up there. I think, I don't know. So I'm a little frustrated. I might have to look up like a walkthrough or something, but I can see again, there's a lot of things to, to recommend about this game. It's a, a really solid game so far, but fuck that wall jumping. <laughs> It is a nightmare, but uh, okay, let's get into our our feature, shall we? Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger, oh, this, this is going to be mostly my own very personal, very intimate conversation about the game. Um, there's lots of discourse out there about it if you want to read more, of course, Um and so this is just going to be, again, just me talking about my favorite game of all time and probably the most important game in my history as a gamer for 
a lot of reasons. So the game came out in 1995. If you haven't played it, it's a game made by Square Enix. At that point in time, it was Squaresoft. Uh, came out in 1995 in both Japan and the United States, which was sort of surprising. wasn't wasn't too too big of a gap between localization and and release. Um, and it was ma- it was an a, it's a Japanese RPG made by what was called the Dream Team. Um, so they took the kind of top stars from some of the most successful JRPGs in Japan and brought them together for one team. So um, Sakaguchi from Final Fantasy. Uh, he he was famous for the Final Fantasy games. Uh, Yuji Horii, the creator and um, developer of many of the Dragon Quest games, uh, which is still ongoing. And then um, Akira Toriyama from Dragon Ball and Dragon Quest. So his artwork was famous. So he did the art. Um, I think Sakaguchi and Yuji Horii were sort of creative leads they were not the directors it was directed actually by another this was a very collaborative game directed by three people um akihiko matsui yoshinori uh, kitasi and takashi tokita so they were actually the game directors but i think yuji hori and sakaguchi handled um this, like basically the story and the scenarios and um some of the game mechanics if i'm if i'm understanding that correctly but again it was super collaborative so a lot of people were wearing different hats moving between stations and things like that uh, and then most of the score was done by uh, yasunori mitsuda who's become famous now who at the time was just a sound programmer and he really wanted to do video game scores and he had all these kind of little pieces of music laying around and so he went to the top you know, he went to his boss at Square and said, let me make a soundtrack where I'm quitting. And they were like, great, we have this new game. It's not because when you're dealing with like a Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, these are established series that have established, you know, composers and everything else. So there's this new game. Sure, go ahead, go for it. Be the composer. And I don't want to I don't want to like victim blame. Um, Well, no, not that I would be doing that. But like, uh, I said most of the score was done by Mitsuda because Mitsuda ended up having to um, not quit but step away from composing partway through the the process because he was super stressed out. Um, and I, so I say I said victim blaming, but it's not really like he most of this from his his words was self inflicted. He was so pressured to make this to really make a splash. I mean, this is his first score. And so he really wanted to make something that was impactful and impressive and something that was different. It didn't sound like a normal JRPG soundtrack. And so he put a lot of pressure on himself and he ended up getting ulcers from the stress. And so then he handed off, handed it off to um, Nobuo Uematsu, uh, who was famous for doing the Final Fantasy score. So again, kind of collaborative. So Uematsu ended up finishing the sound soundtrack soundtrack i think he did i think it was like 10 or 11 tracks um and you might say well damn that's a lot like what did you know what did mitsuda do well the soundtrack ended up being three discs of music it was this massive soundtrack it was this huge accomplishment at the time um and so you know it worked out like you know mitsuda still gets most of the credit for most of the most iconic i can say most a lot a lot of the iconic tracks in the game but 
I one of the things I mean the soundtrack is one of the things that I love about this game. So right now I'm just sort of I'm just sort of like setting the table that kind of thing. And like I I'm not really going to go through this as like a this is a history of Chrono Trigger, but I do think that this stuff is important in part because as I said it's a very collaborative game and it blends elements of Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest in really interesting ways. I mean these are two big JRPGs but they're they're different kinds of games. And so to bring some of those elements together, I think was, it worked out really well. And um, the music is one of them. People often talk about the Chrono Trigger soundtrack as being one of the best of all time. And I mean, obviously I'm a little biased, but I agree. Mitsuda did, Mitsuda and Uematsu did such a great job. Mitsuda said in a soundtrack, in a soundtrack, Jesus Christ. Mitsuda said in an interview at one point that he was trying to go for something that was unlike anything anyone had heard. And there are a lot. So when Ron and I talked about music in games, we talked about how there are influences of like Western artists in some of these um, tracks and, or some of these like games that we were talking about. Chrono Trigger is a great example. There's some contemporary and classic rock uh, influence on the soundtrack. There's the, Rick Astley's never going to give you up, as I mentioned in one of the the tracks. And then there's the trial. Pink Floyd's the trial is is absolutely heavily influences the trial that happens in the game. Um, and so you you have this kind of mixing of what sounds like very kind of traditional fantasy type music, and then in some cases sort of industrial. There's an industrial section at one point. Um, it's just a it's just a very very unique soundtrack i think even to this day but but it's one of the one of the things i really love about it but um before i get into like my own personal experience with it i i want to say that i'm really happy that people have come around on this game which i know sounds if you know the game maybe that sounds silly because it's never like this game was a failure or you know necessarily like shunned or anything like that it's not like this game has gone through a period where people hated it or anything like that when it came out it found success it was successful it had its fans it was financially fairly successful um but it wasn't a final fantasy it wasn't a dragon quest and so it found comparably to other jrpgs limited success and then there was a period after that where i personally kind of felt like people forgot about it like maybe 10 years after its release um where i would read like top 10 lists or top 100 lists and it wouldn't wouldn't be on there and i wonder if it's just because people hadn't played it um because of you know age generation whatever it is and maybe when it started to become more available through the wii uh eShop or the wii um, virtual console and things like that it started picking up because in the last 10 years I do think that it's man, it's 10 or 15 years. It's really had a comeback. And now it often is discussed in, you know, greatest games of all time, just, you know, discussions. So, but one of the the things that made me um, think about that was just a few years ago in 2017, I was in uh, a bookstore. I think it was a Barnes and Noble with Tab. I think we were, we were together and we saw, an issue of the uh, so Edge magazine. Edge magazine is a video game magazine. We saw um, an Edge special edition magazine 
Uh, it was called The 100 Greatest Video Games. And it's the subtitle is The Ultimate Collection of Modern Classics 2017 Edition. And I was kind of excited. I think it was like 10 bucks, if I remember correctly, maybe like 12 or something. And I was like, that might maybe that might be worth getting. Like maybe I should pick it up. I lo- I like these kinds of things. They're they're always fun, fun looking through some of the best games, some of my favorite games, you know. They often make the list. So maybe I'll get it. And so I pick it up and I'm looking at the artwork and I'm like, wow, this, yeah, this is some of this stuff is really pretty. And then I start, I look at the index in the beginning and I'm looking through and I see Earthbound. Earthbound is one of their 100 greatest games of all time. That is amazing. Like, oh, oh, okay. That's, that's cool. You know, I don't often see Earthbound on those lists. So very exciting. I'm looking and there's no Chrono Trigger. And some of the games on there, I mean, a lot of these games are are good games. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to shit on any of them. But there are games on here where I'm like, so that that's on there, but Chrono Trigger's not on there. I'm trying to pick one where people are gonna hate me the least if I say <laughs> if I say this, but something like uh Again, I'm now I'm really being her story, her story. I like that game. I think it's really good. Does it deserve to be on the 100 greatest games of all time list and not Chrono Trigger? I don't I don't think so. Final Fantasy 12. I like Final Fantasy 12. It's one of my favorite Final Fantasies. Would I put it on this list above Chrono Trigger? No. Um, Limbo. Same thing. I really like that game. Put it on this list above above Chrono Trigger? Nope, Nidhogg. Once again, I like Nidhogg a lot. On this list, not above Chrono Trigger. Earthbound is the best example, though. Or Katamari Damacy as well. That's on there. What? The Witness? I'm not even going to... That's the one. That's the one where I will say, how dare you? (laughs) The Witness is on here above Chrono Trigger. I don't... There are multiple Legend of Zeldas. I get it. Legend Legend of Zeldas, those games are great, right? Should Majora's Mask be on here above Chrono Trigger? Come on, man. At some point, uh, and, but like I said, Earthbound is the best example because that is also one of my top three favorite games of all time. I love it. I have tattoos of it. Um, it's It holds a special place in my heart, but I also think objectively it's also a, a good game. So yeah, I'm so happy it's on this list. I would not bump it off this list unless it was for Chrono Trigger. <laughs> I am so, and and that was 2017, which was sort of surprising. So then I had this thing where I was like, let me go back and check. Because in my memory, like I said, there was a stretch of time where Chrono Trigger was not making these kinds of lists. And I always felt sort of sad about it. I was like, I don't understand. I don't think it's just my own bias, my own subjective love of it. Objectively, I think it's an incredible game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know anything about video games. In the last 10 or 15 years, that's changed. I couldn't find a lot of lists from prior to 2000. I was going, what I was doing was looking at doing like a Google search uh, and then going back through each year, um, starting with 1995 and looking up like best games of all time, top games of all time. Didn't find a lot before 2000. Um, I found one from 1997, EGM's top 100 games of all time. And they did actually put Chrono Trigger at number 29. Um and so my my suspicion about my own, you know, being like, doesn't completely pan out. But the earliest I could find was IGN's top twenty 
five games of all time from 2002, and Chrono Trigger is not on that list. Um, Tenchu Stealth Assassins is on that list. Lunar Silver Story Complete is on that list. Crash Bandicoot Warped is on that list. Wipeout XL. Again, I'm not saying these are bad games. Ape Escape. These these are on that list, uh, and Chrono Trigger is not in 2002. But in 2003, Entertainment Weekly and G4 did 100 Greatest Games. It was on number 48. 2007, Edge Magazine, which had the fatal flaw in 2017 of not putting it on. Apparently in 2007, they thought it deserved the number 54 spot. Uh, and then in 2009, Empire did 100, great, 100 Greatest Games. Chrono Trigger was number 76. Uh, same year, Guinness Book of World Records did it, 32. Um, 2017, Polygon listed it at number 62. IGN in 2019 said number 18. So it's like moving up. Uh, but, you know, I don't have the evidence that I need to prove that it wasn't, it was sort of half forgotten in the 10 years if maybe if you've played it, maybe you had the same sense, but I do think that my whole point was to say that it has gotten a lot of love lately. And I think a lot of gamers have come to find it, whether it was through the Nintendo DS, through steam, through iOS, whatever it is, because it's available on all those platforms. But I think people have come to appreciate it, which makes me really happy. My own experience with it is (laughs) starts in a a bit of a weird place. It was my, let's see if I was, if it was 95, I think it came out before, right before my birthday in 1995. So I would have been turning 13, I think. And I'm turning 13 years old. I'm in middle school. And my mom at the time, I think, I don't remember if my parents had started to have a divorce. I think they had just gone through a divorce or something like that, or they were about to. Either way, money was really tight. And so my mom was like, you know, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, a video game. And she's like, okay, well, I can afford one video game, but like, you know, name, name the video game and I'll, I'll buy it for you. Like whatever video game you want, just give me a list. So she asked me for a list. So I said, okay. So I went out and I got a little three by five index card and I wrote my top five games that I wanted because she told me to make write a list of five games. So I'm like, all right. And so some of the games I already knew I wanted, I wanted my number one game, if I remember correctly, was Yoshi's Island, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. I loved the first game. It was a Nintendo game. I love Yoshi. I was like, yeah, I definitely want that. That's my number one. I want that one. My number two was, I think, Donkey Kong Country 2 or 3. I think it was 2 because I love Donkey Kong Country. Again, Nintendo first party. Give me that, you know. And number three was Super Metroid because that game had been getting such great reviews. I didn't hadn't played the original Metroid, but it was super hyped up in EGM and Nintendo Power. So I was like, that's my definite number three. My number four, I don't remember, to be honest. I, I have no idea what my number four was because number four and five were throwaways. I wanted the top three games. I wanted you know, I wanted Yoshi's Island, Donkey Kong Country 2, or Super Metroid. I really wanted one of those games. But she told me to make a list of five, and I'm a rule follower, so I'm like, I'll make a list of five. So 
I was like, there's no way they're not going to have one of those three games in stock at Toys R Us or wherever. So I'll just put two games that I don't really care about. So I looked through EGM, I think it was at the time, and I'm just looking through some games like anything that has interesting screenshots or something. And so I picked two games and Chrono Trigger was number five. Chrono Trigger was the last place. I picked it because it's it's the pictures were kind of cool looking, looked pretty neat. Like the magic they were doing looked pretty cool, but it was a JRPG. And at that point, other than dabbling a little bit with like Final Fantasy on the NES, I hadn't really played any JRPGs. It was still a pretty new genre to me. So, but again, I was, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to have to worry about that because, you know, I'm going to get Yoshi's Island. And so I gave my mom the list and the day my birthday comes and she's like, Hey, I got your birthday present. And so she hands it to me and it's like out of a movie. She's like, open it. And so I'm excited, but I don't know what to expect. I'm like, what if I, what if I open this and I see the telltale, like pre-rendered green leaf of, of Donkey Kong country too. Like I'm, that's going to be awesome. What if I, what if I tear it and I see like the, the Crayola crayon artwork of Yoshi's Island, that would be cool. And so I start tearing it and I see a Squaresoft logo and I'm like, what is that? Squaresoft. And I tear it a little bit more and I see some snow and I tear it completely. And I see the cover of Chrono Trigger. And I had this moment where if you've ever like gotten a gift that you're disappointed in, but you don't want the person to know, I'm sure we all have that experience. I had that moment where I'm like, I, I don't want, you know, she, she bought me this game. I, I don't, it's the only, you know, again, money was really tight. So it's the only game I'm going to get. I don't want her to know that I'm disappointed. So I was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. I saw this in a magazine. It looked so cool. And she's like, Oh, great. Cool. And so I take it and I'm like, Oh man, what am I going to, I mean, I guess I'll play it. Like when you're young and you don't, you know, at that point in time, obviously didn't have the internet or anything. Um, and I don't have a lot of games. I'm going to play it, but man, was I disappointed because who knows when I'm going to get those other games. Maybe for Christmas, I might get one of them. Hopefully that's, you know, over a month away, but I guess I'll have to wait because I got stinky old Chrono Trigger and I don't remember if I played it right away. I think, I don't think I did. I think I waited maybe not that long. I was a kid. So you know, maybe like a week or so. And then I was like, I guess I'll play it. I don't have anything else. And I mean, obviously the fact that I have this entire episode, I'm going to be rambling about it shows (laughs) that things worked out. I ended up falling in love with the game almost from the outset. I just loved everything about it. The music, the artwork, as I mentioned. So the game, uh, if you're not familiar, as I mentioned, is a JRPG, but there are things about it that make it different And I didn't know this at the time. I mean, I kind of knew this from reading magazines, but I hadn't played a lot of traditional JRPGs. But in a lot of JRPGs up to that point, there would be random battles. Uh, So you would be walking along, you could see your character, and then suddenly the screen would change and you'd be in battle. So you couldn't see the enemy on the screen. In Chrono Trigger, you could. You could actually see the enemies. And um, I think that... And kind of having control of like what enemies you fight. That was a big part of it. But I loved the the battles. It, it is turn-based, but they use something called active time battle, um, which they introduced in Final Fantasy IV. But 
a lot of people associate it with Chrono Trigger because it felt very new at the time. Um, there are a lot of things really that the game did that was sort of unique to it, um, whether it popularized it or it introduced it completely. So as I mentioned, seeing an enemy on the screen, that was a huge deal at the time. The active time battle meter, a new game plus I have to, I should look into this. I don't, I don't remember. I want to say that Chrono Trigger is the first game to use the new game plus system, um, where you beat the game and then you can start the game all over again with your current level and gear and all of that good stuff. And they did that because another pretty unique thing about it is it had multiple endings. It had, I think 12, maybe 13 endings. Um, and in order to kind of incentivize people to try to get those endings, you don't want to have to require them to go and re-level and grind and get more gear or anything like that. But one of the cool things about it too, and another unique thing was the the time travel thing. And I think that's really what hooked me because you let me out into this open world. The, the world that you start in is 600 AD in this like fictional world, this fictional realm. And it's 600 AD kind of, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. It's 1000 AD. It's 1000 AD. It's the, the new millennium is the millennium millennium fair. And things are very, they look like the reason I said the middle ages, because it looks like the middle ages compared to now, right? It looks very archaic and there's a castle and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it was all very cool. And then I traveled back in time to 600 AD which looked similar, but a little darker, a little more trodden, you know? That, maybe that's not the right word. But it was a very different time, a very di different feel. And then suddenly I'm traveling to, you know, the future, 2300 AD. I'm traveling back to 65 million. B it was just, there were all these different worlds and it felt so incredible and like oh my god this is not just like a, an overworld like a lot of jrpgs like it's multiple overworlds and because you could replay it you could explore things that you hadn't explored before because you maybe didn't have the right level or something like that and things would change so one of the things at a certain point in the game i'm kind of all over the place now i apologize but at a certain point in the game you get something called the rainbow stone and it's this like kind of fossils the fossilized type stone but it's really rare and it's really powerful and so there's this this smithy this blacksmith blacksmith or armor smith whatever you want to call him who can make gear out of it really powerful gear the most powerful gear in the game but he can only make i think two people like he can make a sword which is just for your character your character is the only one that can make it or he can make a helmet and the helmet can be worn by anyone so you're kind of torn. You're like, ah, oh, do I make the selfish choice and use get the sword for myself? Or do I make a helmet because I need my healer to be? I don't know. The thing is, with New Game Plus, you can have all of it. Because next next time you play through, choose helmet. I had everyone in my party was, was decked out with a rainbow helm at some point, And I had my rainbow sword, my rainbow katana. So um, being able to travel through time and New Game Plus, like, gave you these options to do all of these things. Side quests, too. Side quests were, like, kind of a thing. They were kind of these side things, but not like they were in Chrono Trigger, where near the end of the game, 
There are all these optional side quests that pop up that you can do that you don't have to. You absolutely don't have to. And if you do them, it can change the ending of the game. One of the side quests is uh, you go back to this time period and you there's a, a woman named Fiona, which I had a huge crush on a Fiona in middle school. Or, or sorry, not middle school, grade school. So I was a little bit like, ooh, Fiona. But there's a woman named Fiona who's trying to um, replant a forest that had died. So there was this massive forest in the area and it had completely been eradicated by these this war and these monsters. And she was trying to to revive it, but she couldn't do it on her own. So one of your party members, Robo, is like, I'll stay behind and help her. I'm a robot. I can like help her sow the, you know, sow the seeds and plant the field and everything. And you can do that, but that means that Robo is not in your party anymore until you complete that quest. So in theory, you can go beat the game because at that point in the game, and that's another thing is you reach a certain point in the game where you can keep playing. You can go to the end of the game. There's multiple avenues to the end of the game. Um, so there's all a lot of this like freedom and flexibility and um, you get to that point, technically speaking, once you drop Robo off, you can go finish the game. And then he's just not a part of your your ending. It's it's amazing. Again, there's there's several different ways that you can fight the final boss. There's different versions of it based on what you do. So at that point in the game, by the way, I guess I should say I'm going to be spoiling lots of stuff because, you know, um, at that point in the game, you have a flying time machine. When you get the time machine first, it's stationary. So you just jump in it. And it just goes through a different time period and you're always in the same place when you get there. At a certain point, you get wings. So you get to fly this time machine around the world map. Every world map, you fly around, find little hidden islands, all that fun JRPG stuff. Um, And so when you're ready to go and fight the final boss, Lavos, there are a few routes you can take. You can take your time machine and crash into it and destroy the first phase of the fight. Because the final fight is three phases. It's this big, massive, like, insect-like creature that you have to fight. And then you have to break through that and then fight this big, massive, tentacly guy on the inside. And once you defeat him, then you got to fight the real Lavos, who's like this spaceman-looking dude with these little pods that help him out. Um, you can you can eliminate the first phase of the fight by crashing into it with your time machine. Um, you can also go to the end of time and face it there you can go to uh there's a, a thing called a black omen which is this giant spacecraft that's flying in the sky it's space not really a spacecraft but this is a giant flying fortress and you can fight your way through that and get some fight some really powerful enemies uh which is hard but you can also get some pretty good gear that way and fight it that path so like there's all these different paths to get to the final boss it's really really cool. Another unique thing is you recruit, again, spoilers galore, so if you haven't played this and you have any interest, go do it. You recruit a major villain. (laughs) There's a villain named Magus who was one of my favorite video game characters of all time for a while. Um, Magus is what you think when you first start playing the game. You think he's the final boss. There's all, like, you travel back to 600 AD and that's all people can talk about is, ah, that fiend Magus and his army, and he's this army of monsters, and he's he's summoning darkness and all these things. And so you, for a while, like have to find a way to get to his castle, and then you work your way through his castle and you fight him, and you kind of get the sense that he's not like the final final boss, but he's a major villain. And the, for the first chunk of the game, 
he's kind of the big bad, the big, big bad boss. And then you beat him and you don't see him for a while. And then you go to another time period and you meet a character that seems kind of shady, kind of prompt, could be very much like him. And it is. And then I, again, I won't spoil, I guess I'm spoiling stuff. I won't spoil too much, but that time period, when you get to the end of it, you have the option to fight him and defeat him for good or to recruit him <laughs> and he can become a part of your team. And when I found that out, I want to say the very first time I played, I didn't know that. And so I didn't get him, but I did have the player's guide. So I bought the player's guide not, lo not long after I got the game because I started playing it and I really liked it. And of course, for me personally, player's guides at the time weren't necessarily to guide me through the game. I just wanted it because I loved the game. I just wanted another piece of the game. The same thing happened for me with Dragon Quest VIII when I played that. I couldn't get enough of the game. I was dreaming about it. I was playing it like every moment I could. And I was like, I want memorabilia. I want t-shirts and stuff. But there wasn't all that much out there. So I bought the strategy guide just to have it. I didn't use it really. I used it for some of the the um, cooking and stuff like that. But, you know, didn't, I didn't use it for like the story. I just wanted to have it. And the same thing with Chrono Trigger. I did end up using it for Chrono Trigger, though, especially after I beat it the first time. Um and then I found out you could recruit Magus, and I was like, that's that's so cool. Like, Magus is this cool um, magician. You might tell from his name. I had a big argument with a, a, a friend in middle school about whether or not it was Magus or Magus. He said Magus. He was very adamant about it. I was very adamant, so we would go back and forth. And we would do that thing that you would, like, enunciate the word because you knew that the other person... So I'd be like, so then, yeah, you know, I was grabbing... Magus and he'd be like yeah okay yeah well and one of my my favorite party members is Magus still to this day I've heard there are so many names in this game that people have different pronunciations for it's it's kind of entertaining to me at this point I don't feel super strong about many of them if you want to say Magus that's cool with me um but Magus is this magician who has these really powerful spells and he can use every kind of magic. So this is the kind of game where each person has like an affinity. So you have a person who's good with ice and a person who's good with water, fire, um, light. Chrono, the main character, is good with like light. He has lightning and luminaire, this, this move. Uh, and, and Magus could use all of them and freaking dark magic so like he was he was and to have him on your team amazing so i loved that about it um but generally speaking i became just it's for me as a, as i said it's a very personal game for me i can talk all i want like i have been about the gameplay and the characters and everything which i'll talk more about them but um but at the time i keep kind of going back to my memories of that game and it was the game, I, I've said this before on the podcast, it was the game that made me realize I was a gamer because there were games before that that I really liked and like maybe I couldn't wait to play. Like I'd be like, oh man, I can't wait to get off school to go play that. But Chrono Trigger, I could not get out of my mind. Like I would be in school thinking about it and thinking of, I'd be like sketching little doodles of like, I'm not, I am not a good you know artist, but I'd be sketching little rough drawings of things from the game. Um humming the music, talking. I wanted to talk to anyone who would talk to me about it. And I'm no fucking wonder I'm recording a podcast by myself about it all these years later. But um, 
but I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I thought about it, and I don't remember if I've told this story, but I have this memory etched into my mind from that time where I got it in mid-November, which is when my birthday was, and then I was playing it for, I probably played it again and again and again for like two or three months. I just kept playing it. I wanted to get every single ending. I wanted to make sure I got every secret thing that may or may not be in the strategy guide because not everything was in the strategy guide. And so I'm playing it. And it got to the point where, again, I was sort of seeing the game in my real life. So I remember this time, it was it probably, probably in December, I was still, school was still in session because I was coming home from school and we had just had like the first big snowfall of the season. We probably had like three foot of snow or something. And I'm, I'm dumb. So I'm, I'm walking from the school to the bus stop because I take the bus home. I take the like public transit home. And I could walk on the sidewalks, but it's shorter to walk over the football field of this high school nearby. The problem is, as I mentioned, three feet of snow. And I stupidly am like, I'm going to walk through this field of three foot of snow. But like, I did it in part because I <laughs> was imagining that I was Chrono. Because there's a part in the game where you go to this place called Death Peak. Death Peak or Death Peak? And um, it's like really cold and snowy and there's wind and snow blowing everywhere. And you have to like hide behind these trees or you get blown off by the wind and you have to start all over. And so it really made, it like gave you that sense of like, you know, of weather again, pretty early in the game. And we talk about floaties, there's like floating snow and everything. And I, it felt very visceral at the time, which now it seems very silly for this like 16 bit game. But um, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I'm walking in the snowy field, trudging along, and I'm just like imagining that I'm Chrono from the game. It was very silly, but that thought is like etched in my brain. Um, and I think it shows just how obsessed with the game I was. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was like infiltrating every every experience that I had, even in real life. But there were so. Let me let's go through the characters, some of the characters, because I feel like I'm I'm jumping all over the place. I don't have an organization for this, as you may may or may not have already been able to tell. Um, Chrono is a silent protagonist. Um, he has this big red, you know, very kind of anime Dragon Ball type head of hair. Um, he uses a katana, and I liked that he was a silent protagonist. I like I still to this day I like silent protagonists. Um, I understand that. If we're talking about traditional narrative storytelling, it's a little bit lazy. I get it. But with games like that, with Chrono Trigger, it allowed me to really put myself in the shoes of Chrono. I didn't have a sense that Chrono was all that unlike me because he was a blank slate character. I could absolutely read what I whatever I wanted to in, in most of his interactions. Um, and I, I really liked him. Uh, Marl who I used to pronounce Marla um, and I have since found. And again, these are, there are many names in the game that people pronounce different ways. I'm not here to, to try to be like, this is the correct way, but I have listened to a couple of people who know Japanese. And so they looked at like the Japanese pronunciation and not to say, I mean, this is, this is obviously the localized version. So we do pronounce names differently, but I, you know, for names like Marl, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll go with Marl. Mar Marla 
sounds kind of weird anyway. So Marl sounds pretty. Um, Marl is this like princess character. And I liked her a lot at the time because I was obsessed with No Doubt, the band No Doubt and Gwen Stefani in particular. I had a huge celebrity crush on Gwen Stefani for a big chunk of my life starting at around, around this time. Their album Tragic Kingdom came out also in 1995, I think. Let me double check that. Yeah, came out in 1995, just actually one month before my birthday. So uh, these came out at the same time, and I was newly obsessed with that album and Gwen Stefani. And Marl is kind of a tomboy-type character. She doesn't want to be the princess. You know, she's born into this royal family. She's a princess. She doesn't want to be that. She's wearing this, like almost like a jumpsuit looking kind of uh, outfit to kind of fit in more with normal people. Um, She's very like physical and uh, active and she's an adventurer. So I liked that about her and, and I definitely associated her, her with Gwen Stefani. You could name your characters in this game. And this was the first time I had had that opportunity. And so I loved that. So I would name Chrono myself, obviously, I would name, usually I would name Marl Gwen. Um, but there were times where I would like name, name like, name her after one of my crushes or something. Like I would be going through a particularly, you know, obsessive stage, I guess I would say, with one of my crushes. And I would be like, well, you know, I know that Marl's the love interest. So guess what? Uh, and so it's embarrassing to admit now, but yeah, I would, I would do that sometimes, but mostly it was Gwen Stefani, which is probably not any less embarrassing to admit. Uh, and then Chrono's best friend was Luca, who was this very smart girl, um, who was an inventor and she has a really tragic backstory and even playing through. So again, I, I'm going to spoil some things, but this concept of time travel when you think about the ability to travel through time and correct things that happened, you meet Luca's mom early in the game and she's paralyzed and you can tell she's incredibly depressed. And so Luca thinks, well, if I go back in time, I can save my mom. And the game allows you to do that, except you can fail at it. (laughs) Um, And she can still get her legs broken by this machine. She gets her, her dress gets caught in a machine uh, in one of her father's inventions. So then there's all that guilt from him. Um, and it's not in terms of if we're talking about like disability representation, of course, it's not great uh, because it's showing that a disability is something to be bur- It's a burden and, you know, it's going to ruin your life, that kind of thing. So it's not necessarily great uh, disability representation, but it's a, uh, it's a very emotional story. And every time I get to that part, there's a, there is definitely a sadness. Um, and, and Luca shows sadness. Luca's not the emotional type. Um, she's very logic driven, very intelligent. And, and, you know, she's, she is also kind of a tomboy. She's her father's daughter. She wants to impress her dad and everything like that. Uh, and be like him. So there were definitely some things about this game that challenged Uh, I mean, this is, again, 1995, so it's not necessarily groundbreaking and, you know, doesn't compare to a lot of games today with regards to how it has, how it comments on things like gender, but it 
uh, half of your party ends up being made up of women and half being made of of men. So in terms of gender equality, it was a pretty good example for that that time period. Um, you also get a character named Frog. Wait, shit, what was his name? Um, Glenn and Cyrus. Cyrus is the knight that Glenn is in service to. And Cyrus, I loved Cyrus. Cyrus seemed like such a badass. But ultimately, not really. The way that he gets killed, he's, he's a little bit of a punk. But Glenn was this squire for this knight Cyrus and he wanted to be a knight as well. He was, that's all he wanted. He was planning on it. And um, when Cyrus died, he lost something called the hero's medal and Glenn picks it up. So every, my point is every, all these characters have these backstories that you get to explore. And a lot of them like Glenn's or frogs is, are very compelling. Um, the game also had a triple tech system. I forgot to mention that or a tech system where you could combine your attacks. So as I mentioned, the the screen doesn't go away when you get into a fight. You're still on the, the main screen. And you can combine attacks. So you and one of your teammates can do an attack together. Um, one of the earliest that you get is called... Oh, man. See, I should have looked this. It's been a while since I've played it. But I've probably played it like 50 plus times. Um, I can't remember if it's cross slash or cross strike, but it's you and Fro Chrono and Frog um, combining their sword abilities and you know striking the one enemy at the same time. Um, and then you had triple attacks where you could you know combine with two other people, and all three of you would attack with a specific kind of attack. And those were always super powerful. There's one called Mega Flare, or is it just called no? Oh, Shiza. Yeah, I don't remember what that one's called either. Um, but but yeah, they were just really cool and the effects were all cool. And you didn't, you know, again, you didn't have to do them. You learn them over time. And it was just a really cool uh, new thing that RPGs didn't, didn't do at that point, really. So, uh, so Glenn is very cool. I like that character. Robo is a character that you get. And he's a robot from the future. And robots at that time were programmed to hate humans. At, at a certain point, they were anyway. And to kill them on site. But Robo broke down. And Luca ends up being the one that fixes him. And he doesn't have any memory of being a, a killer of humans or anything like that. And so he's friendly. He's a part of your team. Um, and he's really great. And then you have Ayla, who I used to say Isla. Her name is spelled A-Y-L-A. -A. I used to say Isla. It was definitely Isla in my mind. And then recently, again, I've been convinced that it's probably Ayla. I don't think it matters too much. If you want to say Isla, I think Isla sounds better. Um, but Ayla, Isla, was this uh, cavewoman. And she she's a badass. She's the physically the strongest character in the game. She hits like a fucking ton of bricks. And she doesn't use weapons. She's a fist fighter. And she has these really powerful strikes and so I loved her character as well. And my ideal party um, for the longest time was Chrono. As like, I just had to have Chrono in there. That's another thing. Let me point out that. I keep, keep thinking of stuff. I should have had more elaborate notes on this. But um, at a certain point, again, giant spoilers here. But at a certain point, Chrono dies. He sacrifices himself for the party. And... You can bring him back, but you don't have to. You can go finish the game without the main character. Um, 
But even when you get him back, you don't have to keep him in your party. Up to that point, you do. He's a requirement of your party. He's the main character. He's the protagonist, right? You're that's you. That's your that's the the avatar of the player. After you rescue him, he doesn't have to be in your party. It can be you can have anyone you want. It's so interesting to me. But um, of course, by that point, I'm attached to him. He is my avatar. It's me, so I'm projecting myself onto him. So of course, I have to have him in the party. So and plus, he is really strong. He has very strong magic, very strong physical physical attacks. Especially if you end up focusing a lot of your um, different materials to upgrade his stats. So which I did. So he was very powerful. So I had Chrono, and then I would use Marl as my healer. Um, her magic isn't quite as powerful. Her physical attacks aren't quite as powerful, but she has really good healing magic. And I would use Ayla because Ayla was such a powerful physical striker. So I would have all the bases covered. I loved having Magus in there. As I said, he's an optional character that you can get. Um, and for a long time, when I found out, like when I first started playing, he would always be in my team. It was usually me, uh, Marl and, and Magus but eventually I'm like, well, but he doesn't, he doesn't, his physical strikes aren't super strong. And a lot of his magic attacks are like AOE attacks, which are good, but they're not quite as like, you know, if you need to just attack one boss, like one main enemy, not quite as good as some of the other ones. So um, I ended up trading him out for Ayla. Uh, and then eventually I heard a lot of people favoring Robo in terms of healing in you know in place of marl because he has a healing ability that can also heal everyone and he's a very powerful physical striker so ultimately if we're talking like a primary party now it's usually chrono robo and ayla but that's usually again that's for like end game stuff big final bosses some of them some of the harder bosses in the game after I played through a few times and done a couple of new game pluses, it doesn't matter because everyone's super powerful and I can beat, you know, any boss with whatever team. But, um, but yeah, those are, that's kind of my party. I also, I should mention, I have a tattoo of a character named Flea. Being my favorite game of all time, you'd think I'd have more Chrono Trigger tattoos, but I find that a lot of the character designs would be hard to get as a tattoo. That's just my own kind of opinion. Unless I had a lot of room, like if I had a ton of room, I'd love to get like all of the the main party. I don't really have that much room unless I get my back done, which I will someday. But right now I was focusing on arms. And so I don't have all that many. I only have one Corona Trigger tattoo, but I do have plans for more. I have a space behind my elbow uh, where I want to get a, a character named New. This a little purple dude with like a green mohawk. It's a weird creature that they don't really explain too much, but it, it seems to be this like magical creature because it's born in the time of magic and it assists one of the, the three gurus who are kind of like the wise men. It's oh, this game is just, there's so many things about it that I'm like, Oh, I should mention that. I should mention that, but it's really a lot. There's a lot of cool aspects to it, but um, I have a, a, a tattoo on my wrist of a character named flea. So I mentioned Magus earlier, and in Magus's castle, he has these like three like lieutenants kind of, and in the Japanese version, they they have different names, uh, but in the in the American the Western version, they're named after American musicians. Well, not American musicians, but but rock contemporary and classic rock musicians. 
Um, the main villain is named Ozzy for Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, there's a character named Flea after the bassist from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then there's a character named Slash from the guitarist from Guns N' Roses. And Flea was always one of my favorite characters because he was gender, what I think people are now saying gender fluid. At that point in time, I thought of him as a transsexual um, because my understanding of such things were was very limited. I was a big fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show at this time as well. It's another thing I was really obsessed with. So I was really into the idea of um, different kinds of gender and sexuality. I didn't, again, I didn't have a great understanding of them. Um, but I, I loved what that movie did for me in terms of exposing me to, you know, different ideas of gender performance and sexuality and things like that. And this character, Flea, was similar. Um, he dresses like a woman. He's very effeminate. Um, but he identifies as a man. And I've seen a lot of criticism that does both, you know, both condemns the character and also um, highlights how it was a, a, a positive, not a completely positive, but how there were positive things about the representation in that game. So um, one of the things is that I like that I think is interesting is that your party is not, is not the good guys. If we're talking about like being sensitive to gender identity and sexuality and things, your own party, well, mainly it's frog. If you have frog with you, frog says something like, um, you know, watch out or like, keep your guard up. This is no ordinary woman meet flea, the magician and then flea. And they have, you know, obviously frog knows who flea is. They've had some interaction in the past. Um, you know, he knows flea's name and everything like that. And then Flea corrects Frog and says, what the, hey, I'm a guy, but he's wearing a dress. He has like a high ponytail. He has what appears to be like um, makeup on. Again, presenting as as female. Uh, and then Robo, if Robo's in your party, Robo says, but the exterior is that of a female. Um, and then Flea has this line that I loved. It's probably my favorite line from the game. Um, and this line is usually at the center of the discourse that I've read about this character, where there is a positive message to be found in this character, but ultimately it's 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 problematic. It's being it's being presented in a problematic way. But this line, Flea says, "Male, female, what's the difference? Power is beautiful, and I've got the power." And I love that line because again, the character is like, you know what? it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're misgendering me. Um, gender doesn't matter, right? It's about who I am. It's about what I can do. My gender doesn't have any, you know, basis here. Um, or like, it just doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, but again, there's problematic stuff. Like again, your, your own party. So if we're to understand that the, our parties, our party members are the good guys and that we're supposed to be on board with them, then we should be okay with misgendering flea and misunderstanding and all that kind of stuff. Um, the game doesn't really do anything to correct that kind of understanding or behavior. Um, so ultimately, yes, it's absolutely problematic, but I think it's one of those situations where you can have a character like that, um, that is, is not a great, you know, beacon of representation, but, 
can have a kernel of good. Um, I am not trans. I am not queer. But if I were and I played this game in 1995, I loved that character as a, as a straight cis guy. You know what I mean? Like imagine if I, I and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe I would have played that and said, ah, you know what I mean? Because it's a villain. Um, but in some ways we're meant to like villains in anime, right? And Magus, I ended up, I loved Magus, even when he was just a villain. I loved Flea. Um, and so I think that in some ways there may have been something there to latch onto. And again, there wasn't really a lot of representation for that kind of stuff, and it's not done perfectly here. Um, but I, I sort of wonder if there are people who played it at the time that found at least positivity in that message. As again, some critics have. Some critics argue that that is a positive thing about the character, but perhaps not um, doesn't redeem. You know what I mean? It doesn't redeem all of the the. Um, the negativity that's that's being basically suggested by how the character is portrayed, which is unfortunate. Regardless, I I still love that character. Um, I'm not you know not necessarily as a literary trope, of course, but I just I love the character's design, um, and so I got him tattooed on my wrist, uh, and I I just really I really like him. Not as much as Magus. Um, again, one of my favorite characters for sure. But, you know, he doesn't get a lot of time on screen. So uh, he does play a part in Chrono Cross, the game's sequel, which, you know what, we'll save that for another time when I have to <laughs> host by myself. Maybe I'll replay it because it's been a long time since I played it. But um, so I mentioned you go through these different time periods and I want to talk about my favorite time period, which is called the uh, sorry, my cat sat on my headphones. Um, but I think, you know, the rule, you can't move a cat. So I'm stuck with my head slightly bowed for the rest of the podcast. But anyways, um, there are these different age, uh, time periods. And my favorite is 12,000 BC, which is called the age of antiquity. And it's very like, it's not quite steampunk, I wouldn't say, but it's this like, if you look up the king, the kingdom of zeal or the queendom, queendom of zeal, um, cause it's ruled by a queen. And now that I think about it, I don't know what they, if they call it a kingdom or not, but it's, it's the, 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 the queendom of zeal is what it actually is. And it's this floating, these floating lands up in the sky and there's waterfalls that cascade over the edge and flow down below the clouds. And, um, there are flo different floating mountains connected by bridges and you go between them using these little portals and there's people talking about magic and technology and it's such a cool age, but it, but the ultimate fate of it is that it crashes down in part because of your actions. Um, because you're fighting the queen is the queen is that the whole villain of that time period. And she, um, is using the power of Lavos of the main care of the main enemy to try to gain power and gain more prestige for her people or not really her people. At that point, it's kind of selfish, but it follows the redemption arc that many Japanese games do where we're, we're supposed to understand that people aren't really 
unforgivably bad that everyone deserves some kind of forgiveness. You can have this character that's just outright the evilest, um, seemingly most malicious and and villainous person, but even they deserve redemption. And in a lot of Japanese games, these characters do get that. And the queen has a moment where it's it's sort of like that. But um, I also love the character. So Magus, the character Magus, was actually born into this age, the age of magic, when a lot of people, these people floating above the clouds in particular, were born with magic. And Magus was one of them. That's why he was so powerful. Uh, and then a, a, a time portal opened when the when Lavos attacked during that time and um, brought down the islands, and he was sort of sucked into one of them. Oh, God, now I can't remember if that's how... If it was Lavos, I think it was. I think Lavos, the implication was that Lavos opened these portals. Um, and and Magus, whose name at the time was Janus, got sucked into one of them and ended up in 600 AD. But I want to focus more on Shala, which was Janus's sister, who, again, was one of my favorite characters. I have a lot of favorite characters from this game. Shala was so beautiful to me when I was 12 going on 13 um she was very sort of reserved but she had this like purple hair she had these long flowing robes and she was really kind like her mom was like mad with power becoming less and less of a good queen a good leader a good person every day and shala was trying to both stand up to her mother and protect her brother janice and so she makes this sacrifice at some point in the game where she uses the last of her power to send everyone to safety and she ends up you know staying in the ocean palace which is this like huge underwater palace that you have to go to to fight uh, lavos and so they don't show her die though and so little me who was so in love with this character and I, i thought she was awesome and i'm like why would you make this main character who's so cool and interesting and powerful because she was meant to be very powerful like magus and then just kill her off like that especially since they don't show it so i had all these conspiracy theories and i remember hearing from someone just like what would later happen with final fantasy 7 that she's not really dead and you can actually revive her and if you do something specific you can bring her back or she doesn't die and stupid me actually believed it i was again i was a kid i was a i was a mere child listener and so the only time I remember ever calling the Nintendo hotline, which you could pay to call, which was, you know, now thinking back, I'm like, geez, it was so expensive. Cause it was like, I want to say it was like three or $5 for the initial call. And then like a dollar a minute or something. It was ridiculous, but I called and I don't even remember if I got my mom's permission. I remember being really nervous about it, but I thought if I can make this quick, maybe she won't know. So I called and the guy answered, and, and he's like, what, what game can I help you with? And I was like, Chrono Trigger. And he's like, all right, well, you know, what can I help you with? Can I help you, like, you, is there a boss you're having trouble with? And I was like, uh, no, um, actually, uh, there's a character named Shala. Do you know her? And he's like, um, I don't think so, but let me look through the manual here. And he's, like, flipping through the manual, and he's like, uh, can you tell me more? And I was like, uh, well, she's this character, and um, there's a part of the game with the... Uh, like the ocean palace and like at the at the end of that she like uh she like sends you back to the 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 land um and then like that's it and like 
I mean, I think, I mean, look in the game, it kind of looks like she died, but I heard, I just heard a rumor. It's not, I don't know. I don't think it's true, but I heard a rumor that there's a way that you can like save her. And of course I'm so hopeful. I'm like, Oh God, please. Let's... And he's like, um, let me look that up. And so he puts me on hold for not too long, like a minute, maybe two. And he comes back and he's like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm looking through our manuals here and I don't see anything about that. He's like, so maybe there's a way, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I can help you. Sorry. And I'm like, oh no, yeah, it's okay. I, I didn't think it was true. I just heard it. It was just a rumor. Uh, why was I embarrassed? I didn't know that guy. I had no idea, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I love, I love that, that time, that period in the game. Um, the future 2300 AD fucking, that's a dark period because, it's a, it's it's the post-apocalypse and in video games i mean in jrpgs they're all about the post-apocalypse there's so many jrpgs and from that time period and later where the fucking world ends at some point you know what i mean it might be halfway through the game might be at the end of the game might be at the beginning like the J japanese games were all about and part of it comes from the residual trauma from the nuclear bombs of course but uh but yeah, like that, that was like a, a, a trope, a stereotype in Japanese games. So, um, but there's some really like your characters, you, you, there's a, a pod in the, in the, that part of the game where you can get into it and it'll replenish your, your HP and MP. And it's like your, your HP is re renewed. And then you hear a grumble like, and it's like, but you're still hungry. And in no other part of the game, do you need to eat? Eating is not necessarily a thing, but the game needs to remind you that the people in this age are starving and they are like, they're dying they're gaunt in the face. And they're, they're so hopeful when you give them hope that you're going to go to another city and maybe bring back food and you don't, you go to another city for them. It's like a, it's, it's part of the main story and you come back and that's all you have is a seed, just a single seed. And they're disappointed. They're like, that's it. That's all you brought us. And it's very, it's a heartbreaking scene because again, like you want to bring them something and then, you know, you make a speech about like hope and everything. And, um, the elder of the group or the tribe, you know, kind of saves it and was like, yes, this absolutely represents hope and we're going to take it and do great things or something. But, um, but it is a, it is a dark period. Um, I also love the end of time with Gaspar, Gaspar is one of the three gurus, or again, three wise men, Gaspar, Melchior, and um, Balthazar. Speaking of, let me let me just, little side story here that's Chrono Trigger related. <laughs> I was, it was probably not long after this time. Again, I was maybe in eighth grade. So it might have been, it might have been right after I played this game, like maybe the spring or something. I went to go... Uh, sleep over at a friend's house and I knew that this friend's mom didn't like me she thought I was like a troublemaker I had this problem with a lot of my friends in middle school and high school because I the way I look or looked I I was shaving my head even back then so I had like a shaved head I wore all black I had like a penta pentacle pentagram uh, pentacle necklace and like skull rings and necklaces and I was very like kind of gothy but I was a really good kid, did not get into trouble, didn't do drugs or alcohol, all that stuff. A lot of times it was my friends that ended up being the troublemakers, but you can't tell their parents that. Their parents just look at me and they're like, 
I bet you're the reason that my kid's doing poorly in school or whatever. So I stayed over at this friend's house and I knew his mom didn't really like me. I had some ideas about me. She was a teacher at our school, by the way, I should mention. And so we're, I think we're playing, we're playing video games or something. And she came in and she's like, uh, Joey, can I talk to you? And I was like, sure. So, and my friend of course is like, mom, I'm like, it's fine. Let's just, I'll just, you know, just do whatever she wants and then I'll come back. So I go with her into the kitchen and she's like, if you wouldn't mind, can you take this vocabulary quiz? And I thought it was very weird, but I was like, sure, I guess. And so it was like 20 vocabulary words or something like that. And I got all but one of them right. And so afterward, she told me that she gave her son, my friend, the same test, and he did very poorly on it. And she was like, she was surprised, of course, because she thought I was the bad influence. And she's like, so how did you learn some of these words? And I don't remember all of the words, but I know uh, zeal or zealous was on there, I think. Um, Gollum was on there. Or golem. Golem. Gollum is a character. Golem is the thing. Golem was on there. And there was something else from Chrono Trigger. There were three words from Chrono Trigger where I was like, I saw them and I was like, I know that from Chrono Trigger. And that's what I used to define it. And so I, that's what I told her. I was like, well, you know, some of them, I don't know. I mean, I guess I read a lot. Um, and then like these, and I pointed to those words. I was like, these I know from a video game that I just played Chrono Trigger. Uh, again, doesn't have any bearing on my liking of the game, but I, I always think of that too when I think of Chrono Trigger. And literacy, like learning to read, learning words just as you do when you're reading. JRPGs, their scripts are long. There's thousands of words in these games. They're huge. So just like you can learn words from books, you can learn them from video games as I did with Zeal and Golem. I just did it again, didn't I? No, I did it. I did it right. Golem. I always say, I always get those two mixed up, but anyways, and then I don't remember what the third one was. I really wish I did. I used to, I used to remember them, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, I love this game so much. I've played it so much over the years. Uh, I played it on the SNES, of course, to start. It was, it was then ported to the PlayStation and I was so disappointed because I was really excited. I was like, I, I love my old copy, of course, but like, wow, to be able to play it on a PlayStation you know, which is hooked up to my TV all the time. This can, I'm gonna I'm gonna play through it again, and I did. I played through it more than once on the PlayStation, but boy, was it a frustrating experience because there were load times. Why were there load times? I'm I would be so curious to talk to some kind of hardware or even program hardware specialist or programmer for PlayStation that could explain why there were load times for a 16-bit game. I don't know. Maybe there's a reason, but it felt like a step backwards. You know, I, there were anime cutscenes now, which was cool. Like a dozen or so of them. Um, some, some handful, some number of them, but it wasn't worth the trade-off, you know, having to load, even if just a few seconds between like walking into a house, it made me not want to walk into houses or walk between rooms. Cause I'm like, I gotta wait for to load. So I didn't like that version. And then they came out with it for the Nintendo DS, which I think is probably like the best definitive version because it comes with the anime cutscenes, if I remember correctly, and plus a bunch of extra content. Like there's a whole big new like dungeon area. Um, so like post-game content and stuff. And then 
it's on the DS, it's portable. It's just, it was, it was really good. Um, I played through it again on that a few times. I played through it on the Wii when it came out for that. Played through it on my my phone. It came out for iOS. I have not played the Steam version yet. Um, and part of me is just like really wanting that to come out for the Switch because I would absolutely play it again. But um, if you, I don't even know who I would recommend this to. If you like JRPGs and you haven't played it, again, it's a classic. I know there are some of us that would argue that it's easily among the greatest games of all time. Again, that opinion has been changing. It's finding its way higher and higher on greatest games of all times lists, which is great. Um, you know, obviously, in my own personal opinion, I'd say it's probably the greatest greatest JRPG of all time, but slightly biased there. Um, but I do objectively think it's great in a great many ways. It's so accessible for its time in terms of gameplay. It's a it's not a super long game. You can beat it probably between fifteen and twenty five hours, depending on you know. Again, if you want to do side quests, if you want to, once you get the time, the flying time machine, how much you want to explore, because there are some like hidden islands and things like that. There's one, at some point you get something called a sunstone and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, but you get a hint at some point that like, maybe it gets its power from the sun. So you find at some point in the game, an altar to the sun on this island out in the middle of the ocean, because you have this flying machine now. And you're like, oh, I could put the sunstone there. And you're like, well, I can't, you, I can't harness the sun that quickly. I have to wait like eons to get the power. So you put it there in 65 million BC and then you get it there in, I think a thousand AD, you get it way in the future. Um, and then you can make all these great, this, these great items, these great objects with it. It's uh, and there's a lot of little cool stuff like that. But again, the music's great. The graphics for the time are great. And I still think they hold up. The gameplay is phenomenal and still holds up. Um, so if you like, traditional-ish JRPGs, um, you don't mind turn-based battles. Uh, and you can do, I, I mentioned it has active time battles where that means that your bars and the enemy bars keep filling when you're acting. You can turn that off and do traditional, like when when one, per, one character is acting, everyone's bars freeze and wait for you to be done with your action. Um, but yeah, it's a really it's a really great game. My favorite game of all time. Um, and, and I highly recommend it. So thank you for listening. I, I understand I was, I fell apart at some point I had really, I was like, all right, I can do this. Cause I'm going to talk about this and this and that. And then I started just kind of rambling. So I apologize for that, but I, I do love this game a lot. I could probably talk about it for another hour and a half, but I should shut up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can of course find me at, on Twitter at Losperman. You can check out my Instagram. I think it's just Joey Crunwell. I don't normally plug that, but now I'm like, I'm alone. You know what I mean? I can do whatever I want. I've jettisoned the excess weight of my terrible co-host. I'm just kidding. If you've gotten this far, I'm, 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 don't tell them, don't tell them I said that. Uh, I think my, yeah, I'm trying to look it up. I think my Instagram is just Joey Crunwell. no. No spaces or anything like that. Um, I just post pictures of my cat, Bella. So enjoy. I will also, let me go back when I talked about Shala. I love that name. I always thought that like if I had a daughter, I would probably name her Shala, which maybe that sounds dumb, but I don't think it sounds like too weird of a name for a human child, right? It's a pretty name. I like that name. But again, okay, I should, uh, let me, let me, let me cut it off. 
Um, thank you so much. Please take a soda with you. Do you want to, do you want a Coke zero for the road here? Let me, let me get you a Coke zero. Uh, thank you for stopping by. Please check us out next week. Like I said, tab and Paul are going to be joining me to talk about the Xbox. So if you're an Xbox fan, uh, both tab and Paul recently got an Xbox series X. So they're excited. I'm excited. We're going to talk all about Xbox and we will hopefully see you then. Bye. Drive safe.